Hello and welcome back to Benaiah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is Chapter 2. To obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15.22 Benaiah searched every road and yard between Michal's house and Simeon's, but his efforts were pointless. Amizabad wouldn't have gone home. He would have tried to find Benaiah and Michal. He went back to the spot where he had abandoned his brother and checked every alleyway, half hoping to find a miss and half hoping to not. The best case scenario would be to return home and find his little brother there, safe and happy. It would be dark soon. Benaiah imagined his brother alone, afraid, possibly hurt, or worse, all because of his desire to prove he was a man. Please, God, help us find him. Benaiah walked purposefully through the dirt streets of Kabzeel, checking all the places he knew Amizabad might frequent. His mother's words reproached him with each step. I told you to look after him. What a horrible person he was. The worst brother in the world. If he could find Amiz alive and well, he would take his punishment gladly and learn his lesson. He just wanted his brother back. Getting desperate, Benaiah searched neighborhoods beyond where he thought Amiz might have wandered into. In a narrow street between a row of houses, he spotted a piece of blue and white striped cloth in the middle of the road. He snatched it up. It had been run over by a cart or two, but Benaiah recognized it as the cloth his mother wove on her loom. He held it to his nose. It still had a faint aroma of fig loaf. A miss had been here. Praying for direction, Benaiah tucked the striped cloth into the sash around his waist and scrambled toward the central market. He asked everyone he saw if they had seen a young boy alone. No one had. As the vendors began closing up their shops for the day, Benaiah asked the same questions, describing Amiz and his clothing. One vendor gave him a shred of hope. Yeah, I saw that scoundrel. He and his friends tried to steal from me. Lucky for them I can't run as fast as in my youth. I chased them off in the direction of the creek. Amiz would never steal and he didn't have any real friends. Yet this was all Benaiah had to go on. He thanked the man and walked toward the creek. With each step, he grew more fearful that Amiz would not be found this night. He could go home, hoping his parents had found him, but the anxious feeling in his gut told him the news would not be good. He had to continue searching until Amiz was found. At the end of the street of market stalls, he heard a faint whimpering. Benaiah stopped and strained his ears to locate the direction of the sound. It was coming from his left. He hurried around the corner into a narrow alleyway. Amiz sat against the stone wall, holding the side of his head. Benaiah rushed to his side. Amiz, are you all right? M my head hurts, he mumbled. A pool of dried vomit lay on the ground beside him. Benaiah crouched in front of his brother. Look at me, he commanded. Amiz slowly raised his eyes, but they did not focus. Benaiah examined his scalp. He saw no blood, but he could feel a lump. Can you stand? I th think so. Benaiah helped him up, then caught him as he swayed. I'm a little d dizzy. Benaiah scooped Amiz into his arms and started toward home. What happened? How did you get hurt? I was trying to do what you told me, he began, but tears cut off his words. Amiz seemed more upset that he didn't do as Benaiah had ordered than that he was injured. Never mind that now, Benaiah soothed. Then Itamar and his friends saw me. 
Abijah's brother? Amiz nodded. They grabbed the loaf and ate it. Then they t tried to make me steal fruit for them, but I wouldn't do it. I knocked over up a basket instead, and the man chased us off. Amiz's eyes drifted closed. Beniah walked as quickly as he could without tripping. His brother was much heavier than Beniah expected, but he gladly bore this burden. Did those boys hurt you? Anger rose in Beniah's chest at the thought. The m man in the market recognized Itamar and threatened to tell his father. Itamar told me it would be my fault if his father punished him. He came toward me, and I knew he was going to try to hurt me, so I ran, but they chased me. Benaiah pressed his lips together. When Amiz was better, he would find Itamar and teach him to never come near Amiz again. Yet, even as he hoped to shift the blame, he knew none of this would have happened if Benaiah hadn't sent Amiz off by himself. I think I fell and hit my head. I don't re remember what happened next. When I looked around, they were gone. I t t tried to go home, but I couldn't remember where it was, and my head hurt so much. The terrain began to slope downward, which should have been easier, but it made Benaya's footing less sure. D -d -d Do you think Ima will be angry with me for losing the loaf? No, they'll just be happy that you're okay, and they'll be proud that you didn't steal. None of this is your fault. It's those boys. And me. Amiz, I'm so sorry. I never should have sent you off by yourself. Amiz smiled weakly. It's okay. I know you didn't want to play with me, uh, with you and Mikhail. Then no one wants to play with me either. I'm used to it. Tears blurred Benaya's vision. He blinked them back. He had to accomplish this new mission of carrying his brother home to safety, but his brother's easy acceptance of rejection broke Benaya's heart. Poor Amiz. He couldn't help his stutter. What did you and Mikhail do today? Amiz asked sleepily. Benaya wasn't sure if rest was the best fit thing for him or if he should try to keep his brother awake. He decided to talk with him because it scared him whenever Amiz's eyes drifted closed. We went to see a man named Simeon. He's training us to be soldiers. Amiz's eyes opened wide. Like David and Jonathan? Benaya smiled. Yes. Aren't you going to be a p priest like Abba? No, I want to fight. You'll be a good soldier. I hope so, because I think that's what Yahweh wants me to be. You'll fight giants, too. Amiz felt heavier with each step. Benaya grunted, readjusted his burden, and carried on. Their stone house finally came into view. Many torches lit the yard, held by neighbors who had come to help in the search or to support the family. Their father rushed forward to take Amiz from Benaya's arms and carry him into the house. Benaya felt surprisingly empty without his brother. Amizabad! Their mother ran to him and followed him as he took Amiz into their sleeping room and laid him on a pallet. She stroked her younger son's forehead and kissed his face. I was so worried. Are you hurt? Her voice quavered. What happened? Abba asked Benaya. He told me he fell and hit his head. He's dizzy and he was sick. Abba felt his son's scalp. There's no cut, but there is swelling here. He looked into Amiz's eyes. Son, can you tell me what day it is? Amiz slowly lulled his head and tried to open his eyes. The first day of the week? Their parents exchanged worried looks. It was the fifth day. Abba pointed at Benaya without taking his eyes off Amiz. Who is that by the door? 
Amisabad looked at his brother and smiled. He, he's the one who b brought me here. Yes, but what is his name? He tilted his head to the side. I d d don't know. Ema cried out. Amisa's eyes darted between his parents. What's wrong? Nothing, son, Abba said, patting his hand. I'm tired, Amis whispered. Rest then. Abba covered him with a blanket. Um, when Amis was sleeping soundly, Benaya updated his parents on what had happened. Ima stroked her son's forehead, but turned away when Benaya stepped close. He wished she would yell and tell him how angry and disappointed she was, but that wasn't her way. She would torment him far more with her silence. Benaya wanted to stay up with Amis, but his parents sent him to his sleeping room. When he reached the doorway, he looked back. Both of his parents sat next to the pallet, their eyes closed and lips moving in silent prayer. Benaya couldn't sleep, his worry for his brother's health and guilty thoughts tormenting him through the night. A few hours later, a scream from his mother startled him. Do something! He can't breathe! The baby started to cry. Benaya ran to his parents' sleeping room. Dinah stood a few paces from the pallet, wringing her hands. Jehoiada was kneeling next to his son, attempting to stabilize Amiz's jerking limbs. His red face was contorted into a grotesque mask, his eyes fixed open. Foam seeped from his mouth through clenched teeth. Benaya longed to look away from the horrific sight, but he couldn't. He backed up until he felt the cool wall behind him. Amiz's complexion changed from red to bluish-gray. The jerking continued so long. Benaya had never seen such an event, and it scared him. What did it mean? Jehoiada rolled him over to his side. Nothing he did seemed to stop it. Suddenly, Amiz went limp and very still. His eyes seemed to stare, transfixed at the ceiling. He's not breathing, Ema screamed. Abba put his ear to his son's chest. After several moments, he began to weep. Oh, my son, my son. No, Ema cried. My little boy can't be dead. He can't be. She fell to her knees beside the bed and shook his shoulders. Abba took her hands and stilled them. Don't, he said gently. He's gone. Benaya stood rooted to the stone floor. It couldn't be true. His actions couldn't have led to this. His brother, dead? But it had, and all because Benaya had disobeyed. His brother was buried the next day. The sound of his mother's wailing broke his heart. Nearby, relatives and friends came to support the family. Not surprisingly, the boys involved in the incident were absent, although their parents were in attendance. Jehoiada chose not to confront them at this time, but Benaya already had plans to search them out. Benaya answered any questions about what happened with vague answers, happy when their supporters knew enough not to push for details while their grief was still fresh. After a week of mourning, their supporters went home and the family was left to carry on. At mealtimes, Benaya stared at his food. He had no appetite, but his parents expected him to appear at the table. Ema stared at the empty bench Amiz used to occupy, tears filling her eyes. At breakfast, several days later, Rizpa again asked, Why isn't Amiz here? Abba got up from the bench and came to kneel by his daughter. Rizpa, honey... Amizabad fell and got hurt, and Yahweh took him to be with him. Remember we told you? Confusion showed in her face. But who will play dolls with me? Ima sobbed and covered her mouth with her hand. Benaya squatted down beside his sister. 
Would it be okay if I played dolls with you instead? Will you make their voices high when they talk, like a Miz always did? Of course. Benaiah would do anything to help his family adjust to their loss. After a second week of awkward silence and tears, Benaiah's father motioned for him to follow him to their rooftop. We need to talk about what happened with your brother. Benaiah prepared himself to accept the blame he deserved. They climbed the stone steps leading from the courtyard to their flat rooftop. Benaiah felt as if he were a condemned man walking to the gallows. They sat down on the bench near the herb planter. Benaiah noticed the soil in the herb garden was dry. Caring for the garden had been one of Amizabad's chores. Benaiah inhaled the fresh smell of mint and determined he would take over that responsibility. Abba gently laid a hand on his shoulder. Son, why did you go to Simeon's house that day? Benaiah expected his father would focus on his actions that day, not his motives. Benaiah wasn't ready for that conversation. He stared at his hands. Father, I believe Yahweh wants me to be a soldier. He looked up, expecting anger or a lecture. Instead, Abba asked, Why do you think this desire is from Yahweh? I know I'm expected to join the priesthood when I turn 30, but I don't feel drawn to caring for the tabernacle, teaching the law, assisting with sacrifices, accepting tithes, making long prayers. Realizing it sounded as if he were insulting his father and spurning the great privilege of the priesthood, he added, I know all those things are important, but God has given me a desire to do something for my country. I want to fight in Saul's army against the enemies of Israel. Abba's long silence unnerved him. Perhaps I can be a soldier first, and if Yahweh calls me to it, I can still become a priest when I'm older. It seemed like a reasonable compromise, especially since 30 felt like a lifetime away. You don't require a special calling to be a priest. Being born a Levite, and especially an Aaronite, qualifies you and compels you to be what Yahweh designed our tribe to be. Even though your older brother is already serving, you are still expected to fulfill your priestly duties. You have been consecrated to the service of God from birth. But I have such a strong desire to do this. Surely it's from Yahweh. Perhaps, but a real man can protect and care for the people he loves in other ways than soldiering. His father's gentle words cut him to the heart. All the skills he could learn as a soldier would mean nothing if he didn't use them to protect those God had entrusted to him and he had already failed to protect his brother. Amiz wanted to be just like you. Did you know that? Benaiah hung his head. He did not deserve the respect his brother had for him. Can I tell you a story? Benaiah nodded. Jehoiada was a natural storyteller. Abba stroked his beard as he did whenever he was instructing his family. Samuel has shared this story with the priests, so we'd know what God has planned for our country's future. A few years after Saul began his reign, the Lord told him that he wanted to punish the Amalekites for ambushing God's people on their way up from Egypt all those years ago. They picked off the weak ones and the stragglers at the rear ranks when they were tired and weary. The Lord vowed that he would blot out the remembrance of them from under heaven once we were established in the land. The Lord commanded him to utterly destroy the Amalekites and all they had. But Saul spared their king, Agag, as well as the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs. Benaiah had heard of the Amalekites, but he didn't know about this incident in Israel's recent history. 
The Lord told the prophet Samuel that he greatly regretted installing Saul as king because he had disobeyed a direct command. Samuel was grieved by his announcement and cried out to God all night on Saul's behalf. Benaiah was shocked to hear God changed his mind about the king he had anointed over Israel. The next day, when Samuel went to see Saul, the king said to Samuel, Welcome, brother. I have done as the Lord commanded. But Samuel said, If you have, then why do I hear sheep bleeding and oxen lowing? Benaiah could relate to Saul's excuse. He also thought he would get away with secretly seeing Simeon, but then his disobedience was discovered. Saul protested, saying, But I have obeyed God and gone on the mission he sent me. He blamed the people, saying that they had kept back the best of the animals. He added that they were for sacrifice, as if that made it all right. Benaiah could see through Saul's excuses. Were his own as flimsy? Samuel asked Saul, What do you think? Does the Lord take as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to his commands? No, but to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams, because to God rebellion is as bad as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as idolatry. Was Benaiah's disobedience a sign of rebellion in God's eyes? Samuel added, Because you have rejected God's word, he has rejected you as king. Benaiah bolted up, What? Saul won't be king of Israel anymore? That's how it seems. We don't know when it will happen, but God will appoint another man to replace him, perhaps Prince Jonathan. Benaiah had heard good things about Prince Jonathan. My point is, son, Yahweh is greatly displeased when we disobey him. We priests do the tasks he has prescribed, but he is far more pleased when he sees the attitude of our hearts. He is more concerned that we do what he commands than that we go through the motions with ritual. What does God see when he looks on my heart, Benaiah wondered. He sat back down on the bench. His father took his hands in his and looked intently into his young son's eyes. Regardless of what I want for your life, or what you want for your life, if you have an obedient heart, Yahweh will lead you into your life's work, and you will serve him well. Was it too much to hope that his father's position was softening? Perhaps you can spend a few years with me, learning God's law and seeing what is involved in the service of Yahweh. When God places, replaces Saul with a new king, if you still feel he is leading you to be a soldier, I will not stand in your way. Benaiah wondered if he could manage spending the next few years training for the priesthood, knowing that if he did, he might have his father's blessing to serve as a soldier. Besides, didn't the story his father just told him confirm that God preferred obedience to sacrifice? There were already plenty of priests to offer sacrifices and incense to God, including his older brother Shalom, who was already married and established as a priest in Kabzeel. Benaiah could obey as a soldier. Surely that was better. Who knows, training for the priesthood may even make you a better soldier, Jehoiada added. Benaiah stood and pulled his father into an embrace. Thank you, Abba, I promise. I will always obey you and God. Continue listening for chapter 3.